Hey, everybody. Hey, what's up, guys? Um, yeah, this is not our normal way to start a podcast. Um, I'm Jason, nope. that's Paul. <laughs> yep. Um, we borrowed the Doctor's TARDIS for a minute, because uh, we had to come back in time and and fix something. We, uh, messed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. And, um, well, um, Paul, tell them what we did. We overshot our episodes and forgot to plan for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Christmas was something we're like, oh yeah, we'll do something. And then we realized we got a couple of episodes recorded out, you know, out ahead of schedule, and we're like, oh yeah, we're feeling good. And then we realized, oh, so we're talking about the Mind of Evil on our Christmas weekend release? Yeah. So we tried to brainstorm a little bit, and you guys owe me big, because... Jason wanted to talk about the very first Doctor Who Christmas special ever. Which one was that? The Feast of Stephen, and I talked him out of it. Oh, the Feast of Stephen, no, and I talked no, him out no. of it. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Wrong, wrong, <laughs> false. Slander, libel. Um, no. He said that's his no, feast favorite of... Doctor Who Christmas special ever. Uh, <laughs> it's not. Mm -mm. No. No. No, 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 no. No, no. Not true. <laughs> He said he would Not rather true. watch that than anything else for Christmas. Uh-uh. No, I would rather watch anything else <laughs> rather than that. Including the Star Wars Christmas special. Yeah, that's almost as bad. Oh, God. Oh, God. Stop it. Make it stop playing in my head. Dear Lord. Oh. Okay. Um. Yeah, so <laughs> as of the day or so of this recording being released... Uh, we will all be sitting down and watching this year's Christmas special uh, featuring Peter Capaldi as the 12th Doctor. We will be talking about that next episode. Yeah. That's the plan. We will be talking about the, that next episode. I don't know if it'll be next week or in two weeks. That'll depend on my work schedule and how soon we can actually sit down together and record. Because yeah, we uh, can't just borrow the TARDIS whenever we feel like it. So, Right. The Doctor said we could borrow it this once, and that's <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, we promised we didn't steal it. We did not steal it. Like, nope, nope. Didn't steal it. Didn't steal it. <laughs> no. Um, but uh, we did want to come back, let you know, hey, we didn't forget about Christmas entirely, just when we were in the middle of recording. Uh, but we do <laughs> want to wish all of you listening a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and a yes. Happy New Year. Um, yes. Thank you so much for listening to, to our little show here on the internet uh we really appreciate it um we want to make sure that we wish you all the best this season for you and your family happy holidays merry christmas uh happy hanukkah you know uh, just really hoping you have a great holiday season and uh if you're looking for something to watch outside of doctor who that has a few doctor who easter eggs in it you could check out the uh christmas carol with patrick stewart I promise you, you'll see at least three or four people in there that are Doctor Who veterans. Yeah, there's um, <laughs> that could be fun. You could that almost, could be fun. You could almost play, you know, uh, like a like a drinking game or something with that. Why did I go yeah. there? Um, anyway. <laughs> Every time eggnog. you see someone who's been on, <laughs> yes, eggnog, eggnog, and hot chocolate. Um, that's it. <laughs> so grab your eggnog, grab your hot chocolate, sit down and watch that. 
And be sure you've seen the Christmas special, this year's Christmas special, The Return of Dr. Mysterio, uh, for when we come back in our next episode. At least we can finally talk about new Doctor Who. It's about time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's going to be really fun. Well, guys, we got to go. Um, It's been cool. We got to get the TARDIS back back to the Doctor. Um, Get back to the future. Um, Yeah. Did you lock the door? I did. You, I thought you, you had the key, didn't you? I thought you had the key. No. Are you telling I me you, you you don't have the key? You no, gotta I, you've got to be kidding me. You have, you have did you leave it on the console? Did you leave you, the key on the on the console? I, you you're the last one to have it. I gave <sighs> it to you. You have locked us out in the cold. What are we? The doctor's gonna kill us. The doctor is going to kill us. He's going to send River Song after us. <sighs> Great. You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lord. Everybody and welcome to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 58, The Mind of Evil. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have... Paul Gann. You're simply too delicate for intelligence work. You should go and lie down. Mm. That's rude. <laughs> That's the brigadier. <laughs> oh man, how's it going, Paul? Uh, pretty good, actually. Uh, we've had some positive developments in my life over the last couple of years. Good. Not going to go into good. that here, but you know, right? But you know, at least things are moving on up. Um, that was random never mind um, you're gonna make me have to go look for that music right <laughs> you don't have to you can just leave me awkwardly hanging there even funnier yeah well 
things are going pretty good for me, other than, you know, things come in threes, and my car has been in the shop three times in the last, like, three weeks. So my credit card has gotten a nice exercise for once in its <laughs> life. But other than that, things are going pretty good. Uh, <laughs> so hopefully, uh, it's looking like we've got my car to the place where we're not going to have any issues with it for a while. So keep our fingers and toes crossed on that, that my money will last through Christmas. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, no, other than that, we're doing pretty good here. Uh, we're all fine here. Thank you. How are you? At least you didn't have a blue horse trailer uh, materialize on top of it, right? Mm, yeah, that would have been really... Well, then I could have collected <laughs> the insurance, gotten a new car. Uh, you know, that would have been fine. Gotten lasered by the master. <laughs> mm, well, that would not have been fine. I would not have liked to have been lasered by the master. A tissue decompression thingamabobby's got there. We might find you in a lunchbox. <laughs> That's just awkward. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, let's go ahead. And before we jump into our episode here, The Mind of Evil, uh, let's go ahead and jump into the news. Well, let's not. Well, I guess we don't have news today. No. No, we don't. No. Um <laughs> For a couple of reasons. One, we've been really busy and didn't have a lot of time to dig up anything. Two, there's not been many developments since the last time we talked about the news. So, right. yep. I mean, let's be honest. That's about it. You know, about the only thing that we're seeing out there at this point is, hey, there's going to be a new comic book series in 2017. And that's about it. You know, right. so, you know. Which, you know, great, but I don't read the Doctor Who comics because... Well, I spend way too much money on other stuff. <laughs> uh, I'm, I would have to order them online at this point, and I really don't have the ability to do it at the moment. So, you know. And the question is, do you also have faith in your postal service to get it there undamaged? Mm, we'll talk about that offline. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I guess the one thing we can bring up, and we posted this on our Facebook page and Twitter, um, is that if you have BBC America, have a uh, provider, a TV provider that has BBC America, um, you will be able to have access to colorized uh, versions of the Power of the Daleks episodes. I think that's available now. But... Yes. They have three posted so far. Okay. They, okay. So they're, they're posting them as they uh, play right. the episodes on the weekends they okay. have both black and white and color on the app at the same time very cool but i can't watch them because your because, tv provider doesn't have bbc america because i have dish and they are discriminatory ah okay <laughs> yeah there's that gotcha. gotcha and i'm angry about it mm. you're angry <laughs> at dish or bbc america both, both. okay <laughs> Yeah, I've I've already I've already come to the the realization I'm going to have to buy the Blu-ray, you know. Mm. So, yeah. Well, but I, I mean, have seen the I have seen the clips of the colorized stuff, and it looks amazing. It does. It looks pretty good. Um, I'm pretty sure both the Blu-ray and the DVD will have uh, colorized and black and white versions of of these episodes. But let's go ahead and jump into. The Mind of Evil. Mm. Yes, I'm going to do that every time I mention the title. Um, <laughs> this is the second story of uh, 
season eight of Doctor Who, which is the third Doctor's second season. Sorry, that was a little confusing. Um, <laughs> and it was written by Don Houghton and directed by Timothy Coombe. Uh, it was originally aired from the 30th of January to the 6th of March, 1971. Yes, this is a six-episode story arc. We already know the companion. We already know the master in this. So no real new companions that we need to talk about. Uh, so, Paul, real quick, uh, just initial thoughts about the mind of evil. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't as easy for me to follow as the last one was. Okay. Because I had difficulty wrapping my brain around how part A of the story really tied in with part B of the story, if you understand where, where I'm going with that. I think so. I, I, sometimes it feels like we have an episode that has an element in it just for the sake of having that element in it with no real purpose behind it, if that if that makes sense. Gotcha. Um, I like this story. It's not my favorite. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you on that. It, it's It's... It's a pretty good one, but it's not going to be one that I'm like, ooh, I must go back and rewatch The Mind of Evil. Unless right. I just want to say The Mind of Evil over and over again. Well, um, I, I can say this, um, and uh, for anyone who hasn't watched it yet, go ahead and watch it before you listen to this, because it's going to be full of spoilers. Right. Spoilers. For me, I was looking at the concept of the story and how this thing was put together. Of course, we have this um, machine that is set up to uh, be one of the threats in this story, right? Mm -hmm. But the way this thing was set up, I kind of looked at it almost like a missed opportunity because in my mind, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, this would be a perfect opportunity for them to use the great intelligence in that role. Ah. You see where I'm going with that? Okay. And so to me, I was looking at it from that standpoint and I was thinking this should have been the great intelligence. This should not have been just some random machine with an alien, you know, life form in it or something, you know? Right. Um, and so that kind of took away from it a little bit for me because I saw that as a missed opportunity, you know? Because mm -hmm. I think it would have been really interesting to have seen uh, the dynamic between the great intelligence and the master in that type of scenario. Yeah, I'm I'm looking here on the TARDIS wiki to see if there's any notes in some of the behind the scenes stuff if that was um, going to be a you know if that was a, a working idea or not. Because I know that we had already had the great intelligence with the second Doctor at this point, right? Even though I've not gotten an opportunity to watch those episodes yet, I, I do know that they're there. No, nope. I'm not. I'm not finding anything that says that the Great Intelligence was originally considered to be a part of this or not. Unfortunately, but that would have been that would have been yeah. a pretty interesting element if we wanted to add that in there. So. Yeah, I, I think that would have been nice to see. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, let's let's go ahead and, and uh, jump into the the story itself here. The Doctor and his companion, Joe Grant, arrive at Stangmore Prison because they're there to view a demonstration of the Keller machine, uh, which was developed by the Swiss scientist Emil Keller, uh, which 
apparently is to, you know, is, is claiming to cure antisocial behavior by extracting evil impulses from the mind. Yeah. And uh, Professor Kettering is there to act on the behest of the absent Keller, and he's there in charge. And as he's des- describing the system, the doctor is, you know, providing his own commentary about how this is silly, how it won't work, and how uh, it's a horrible thing. <laughs> they bring in a very hardened criminal named Barnum to be the subject for all these scientists and journalists to view the Keller machine in, at work. Something goes slightly awry during the process. Barnum screams out in pain. Things appear to go back to normal with the machine, but Barnum is rendered comatose. And the doctor goes, this is an appalling machine. You should get rid of it. Yeah, I uh, I thought it was funny um, when the doctor kept making his little comments to Joe yeah. and the scientist kept getting angry <laughs> and he right. he implied that the doctor wasn't intelligent enough to understand the technology that he was talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the doctor looks at Joe like, well, who does this guy think he is? You know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and Joe's just kind of sitting there going along with everything, you know, and and it, it almost became one of those uh, little competitions there for a moment you know <laughs> right <laughs> who's really the smartest man in the room right <laughs> uh you know you, you wonder if, if his comments were as much about you know his belief that this machine is a bad idea or you know and also <laughs> if he's just irritated that he's not the guy up in front of everybody making the, the presentation uh being the smartest man in the room the the indication that i got was that uh he, he looked at it as Anything that seems too good to be true is too good to be true, right. you know. And so it was automatically, I don't like this because it automatically seems too good to be true, you know. Right. <laughs> Unit has, you know, problems of its own. Uh, Unit is overseeing security at the very first World Peace Conference, and things aren't going well. The brigadier's not going to like being a glorified you know, security guard anyway. No, you know? no, no. <laughs> he is being berated by uh, Captain Chin Li, who is the security officer for the Chinese delegation. Um, and she is lambasting him because uh, classified documents have gone missing from the, uh, the Chinese delegation's offices. And she is holding... The brigadier and unit personally responsible because of their lax security standards or something. Right. Like that. But the look on his face says a whole nother story about this. The look on his face is literally like, do you even realize who you're speaking to? You know, right. <laughs> and it's almost like he's like, are you sure you didn't just lose them? Right. Um, <laughs> and well, it's interesting that we mention that because later on, after she leaves the office, we do see her burning certain documents. Um, and throwing them in a trash can in a playground not too far away. Yeah, doesn't that playground sort of resemble the playground that we saw in New Who in the past couple of seasons? A little bit. similar. A little bit. (laughs) And then, of course, she later reports back to the Brigadier that the Chinese delegate has been murdered. And so, of course, the Brigadier has to go investigate that. At the same time, Captain Yates is being assigned to lead a small unit platoon, to dispose of the Thunderbolt missile, which is an outlawed nerve gas missile, um, which, of course, the uh, bureaucracy upstairs so conveniently decided now was a good time to get rid of that, you know, right. transport that missile across the country <laughs> to get rid of it during the, the peace right. conference. Um, 
Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, back at Stangmore Prison, the doctor is still trying to convince Professor Kettering to get rid of the, the Keller machine. And his points, you know, begin to make more sense when they come back into the room where the Keller, the Keller machine is. And there is a medical student had been, who had been there earlier witnessing the demonstration uh, dead. But his face is frozen in a mask of terror, and he's covered in bites and scratches that look like rats. And his medical history says he has a morbid fear of rats. And the um, the doctor, Dr. Summers, who, by the way, is played by a very young Michael Sheard, also known as Admiral Ozzel in The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> There's our Star Wars reference. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, Dr. Summers de- de- you know, determines that he died from heart failure due to terror and, you know, probably brought about by his morbid fear of rats because he's covered in bites and scratches from rats, even though there's no rats in the prison. Or at least that's what the governor says. And I'm thinking, okay, you have a prison that has zero rats anywhere on the premises. Uh, why do I have trouble believing that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, of course, the doctor tries to go dig up some more information on what's going on with these these victims here while uh, Professor Kettering attempts to examine the machine in order to you know render it inoperable for the time being until they can figure out what exactly is going on the machine starts up as he's you know working on it and Professor Kettering starts seeing you know a vision of, of, of waves and water and yeah. he's killed we later find out he had a morbid fear of drowning and he drowned in a perfectly yeah. dry room because there is water <laughs> filling his lungs. Yeah. <laughs> so basically this machine is killing people with their yeah. worst fear. The doctor, you know, is worried that the machine is growing. The machine's power over people's minds is growing more powerful. And so he goes to examine the machine in order to dismantle it. When the machine starts working on him, and the room appears to burst into yeah. flames. But it doesn't just burst into flames. It yeah. it bursts into flames, and he starts seeing Cybermen, and Martians, and Daleks, mm-hmm. and he starts hearing Exterminate, and... Right. Yeah. It basically, every creature that he has come into contact with to this point, it is putting into his head in this right. fire. Right. Um, Joe comes into the room uh, and distracts the machine long enough so that it deactivates. He admits that, yes, he had a, has a severe aversion to fire because he re- recently witnessed a world consumed by flames, which is a direct uh, reference to the season finale of the previous season, an episode entitled Inferno, which is actually one of my favorite Third Doctor stories. Um, which I still have yet to get to see. So It's a good one. But... Yates arrives at Stangmore Prison to take the doctor away because the brigadier requires his assistance with the peace conference. Um, yeah. And considering and they that, just about have a knockdown drag out over this, <laughs> right? Because the doctor needs to have this machine deactivated right. and destroyed. But since the bureaucracy there with the prison isn't able to do anything, he's like, "Fine, I'll see if the brigadier can help me get rid of this thing," and leaves Joe. <laughs> to monitor events there at Stangmore. Yeah, I'm going to leave my companion with this known threat 
and hope that all goes well. <laughs> right. Well, he does tell her, don't let anyone into the room. Um, although the one thing to note is that when this machine starts up, it starts affecting the minds of all the other prisoners. And, right. a, you know, they start sort of, you know, rioting or not necessarily rioting, but causing a ruckus and everything. Right. And, you know, they start yelling and banging cups on the bars and just causing a general disturbance every time this machine starts up. It's almost like it increases the evil in the uh, the prison, mm -hmm. you know, when it's doing this. Right. And, of course, we keep getting mentions of Emil Keller, who's, you know, the designer of this machine, because, you know, he right. came and set it up himself. He had an assistant, you know, a young Chinese girl who was right. his assistant. Of course, we go back to um, Unit, where the brigadier is trying to convince the doctor to help him out with his problem. Because there's, <laughs> you know, international security is at risk. Right. And, um, after promising to uh, put weight on the ministry and have Unit uh, shut down all use of the Kelly machine, the doctor finally agrees to help the brigadier with his problem. He tells him, he says, and if that doesn't work, I'll go over there and blow the bloody thing up myself. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> the brigadier starts outlining all of the things he's going to do with this thing. And he, and, and if that doesn't work, I'll go over and blow the bloody thing up myself. <laughs> Is that satisfactory? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, 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 the doctor gets a Cheshire cat grin on his face at that point. <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> The doctor and the brigadier go over to meet the new Chinese delegate. <laughs> and the brigadier, of course, wants to get right to the point and ask questions and get answers. While the doctor goes, no, 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 no. That's not how we do this thing. He can <laughs> you begins have to massage to... it, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this, um, this part was really funny, by the yeah, way. Yeah, he begins to, you know, charm <laughs> and win over the, the Chinese delegate by speaking with him in uh, Hokkien which is uh, the, the Chinese dialect that the delegate speaks, uh, claims to have been friends with Mao Zedong in the past, even uses Mao Zedong, his given name, rather than, his, you know, to prove that he's <laughs> right. that close. Um, and, and the whole time the brigadier is trying to get a word in and nobody's listening to him nope. at all. Nope, it's like he's not even in the room. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Sergeant Benton, however, has been put on assignment to tail Chin Lee. Yeah. He's not very good at it, I have to say. Well, he's seen right up front, you know. Well, she's making a phone call in a phone booth there, and he's standing, you know, down the street looking very suspicious. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's standing down the street, you know, sort of keeping an, an eye on her. Um, very <laughs> obviously positioned. <laughs> However, when she notices him, rather than just, you know, running away or confronting him, she summons some sort of mental power, which the sound effects for it sound very close to that of the right. Keller machine. <laughs> and sees control of Benton's mind and makes him collapse. Yeah. When he collapses, she then uses that moment to give him the slip. Right. Um, and Benton <laughs> has to report back to the brigadier empty-handed. And that's uh, that's when the brigadier cuts him down. <laughs> he says... Poor Benton. 
<laughs> yeah. He says, you're clearly too delicate for intelligence work. You should go lie down. <laughs> That's what yes. he says. And Benton's like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then he yes, stops sir. and he's like, sir? <laughs> you know, like, were you serious? Yeah. And he says, yes. just, just get out of my sight, right. you know? <laughs> right. Oh, I ben- laughed. I know. Benton always ends up getting the short end of the stick. It's oh, which I feel is, so bad for Benton. Which is sometimes. kind of bad because he's a really good guy, you know. He's it's, he's such a genuinely nice guy and he's, you know, dedicated soldier, but he always ends up in these sort of situations where, you know, he gets you know, he's there by himself basically and he right. gets taken over by this superior, you know, force that they're not prepared to deal with and has to report back and goes yeah, it didn't work, you know, or whatever, and he gets the blame for it. Or he's getting uh, taken advantage of by the doctor in some way, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, and you know, the doctor tricks him into thinking something, you know, so that he can get away or whatever and go do what right, he wants to do. And the doctor disappears. You know? The doctor disappears, and the brigadier walks in. Where's the doctor? Well, he did this. Benton, I told you not to let him out of your sight, you know. <laughs> right? <laughs> it happens all the time. It happens all the time. <laughs> Benton's such a good-natured guy that he gets sucked into that thing, that sort of thing, all the time. He's, he's sort of the Nardle of the third Doctor series. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. We'll see how Nardle behaves. Um, meanwhile, across the street from the, the house that the unit, the unit has uh, commandeered for the security assignment, a telephone repairman rigs up control box to eavesdrop on the unit telephone line he then of course goes back to his little work tent and takes his face off (laughs) yes takes his face off because it's a mask and we are revealed to the first appearance of the master (laughs) and if i'm not mistaken wasn't that the same mask that he used to work on the phone system on the last story it might have been (laughs) it might have been because it looked similar Um, Right. <laughs> he then listens into a phone conversation Captain Yates is having, uh, planning the route and uh, escort for the disposal of the Thunderbolt missile. Which we're going, uh-oh. That's bad. Um, the name of this missile just... It, it smacks of corniness, man. I mean... <laughs> oh, it's... <laughs> it's like the, a missile that you would have found in the, you know the James Bond movies of that, of that era, you know, it's sort like, of, yeah, uh, it's so, it's, or some sort of action it, movie. There's a James era. Bond movie called Thunderball. Close enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> close enough. Um, anyway, meanwhile, back at Stangmore prison, uh, Barnum is, has recovered enough to, you know, be caught, regain consciousness, but he is, had basically all of his, evil impulses taken out by the, the Keller machine. It has regressed him back to a very childlike, docile stage mentally. Uh, and according to Dr. Summers, you would either consider him an idiot or a saint. Right. <laughs> she says, what does that make him? And he says, either an idiot or a saint. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, there's been a, a you know prisoner move. Uh, a prisoner named Mailer is next in line for processing by the Keller machine whenever it becomes operational again. And with some inside help, 
stages a revolt, a prison riot, and they take over the prison from some of the guards, and of course take Joe and Dr. Summers hostage. Because you can't have a companion in an episode without them at some point being taken captive. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's part of the formula. <laughs> uh -huh. The doctor and the brigadier are comparing, are comparing notes, and when they realize that Keller had a young Chinese assistant, he believes that that Chinese assistant is Chin Li, the security officer for the Chinese delegation. That's when you get this the Scooby-Doo reaction. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> and the doctor goes, Ah, there must be a connection between the killer machine and your problems here at the peace conference. I just I just, I just had a thought. What? I just mentioned he, he had the Scooby Doo uh reaction and then mm -hmm. I thought about the master taking off the mask. <laughs> and I would have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for you and those meddling unit kids. <laughs> Chin Lee, meanwhile, oh. <laughs> has set uh, under directions from the master, who we have now yeah. seen the two of them interact in a very uncomfortable situation. You know, she's, you know, they, she goes, you know, sits in the backseat of the car with him while he gives her these directives. Yeah. And she's very uncomfortable, doesn't want to be there. And while he's not overly violent or anything with her you almost feel like he's violating her in a that's sense. what i was gonna say she seems really violated yeah you know? and you know um, he's got she's got this little device behind her ear that's a telepathic amplifier yeah which allows him to maintain a much stronger much more effective uh control over chin lee see um because of her performance in this and, and the fact that she seemed so violated it mm -hmm. actually made it seem darker to me because it made my mind go into other places. Like, you know, what other things is he forcing her to do? You know, right. and just how bad is this? You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, because she seemed really disturbed when she started to come around right before he took control of her mind again. You know, right. right. Uh, it, it, it's, yeah. it's a really kind of a disturbing scene, you know, and it, and it definitely shows that, you know, the master is this character that, especially in the third doctor, is almost the gentleman villain. Right. You know, especially in this era. But then you get scenes like this where you're like, he's not quite that. Well, he, see, there's this came there's off, a darker side to him. This came off not this came off to me not just like hypnosis. This came off to me almost like, for lack of a better term, like mind rape. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, there's it's like. You know, it's almost like uh, Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, with her in a sense. You know, she's been so battered mentally, primarily by the master that she's, you know, for the most part devoted to him. Uh, but under his directives, she concocts a scheme to meet with the American delegate, Senator Alcott. Um, and when he arrives that night for their meeting, we hear that noise again, the, the telepathic slash Keller machine noise. And he appears to see Chin Li transform into an enormous Chinese dragon. Um, the doctor, Brigadier, have been alerted to the fact that Chin Li is back on the premises and in going to arrest her, 
managed to intervene and save the senator's life. And they see the dragon, too. Right. Which um, is interesting. But as soon as, you know, a shot is fired up in the air with the doctor, uh, you know, knocking a gun out of the way, um, that distraction causes Chin Lee's focus to shift. Right. And the dragon disappears. It's like the doctor suddenly realized exactly what was going on and that he didn't want the brigadier to kill Chin Lee. Right. You know. They discover the telepathic amplifier, which is not Earth technology. It is alien technology. Right. And the doctor goes, this is something that the master would use. Yeah. Emil Keller is the master. Yeah. So this Keller machine is not benevolent. It's evil. Evil. Yeah. (laughs) Of course, you know, when the master finally shows up to visit the prison, he has a British accent. As opposed to um, the Swiss accent, the Swiss accent, you know, and so right. that that to me would would have been a big red flag from the jump. But I, I'm suppose <laughs> I suppose that he probably hypnotized whoever he needed to to get in there to do what he needed to do, you know. Right. The master, of course, you know, returns as we said, returns to Stangmore to formulate a new plan because he's been found out there at the uh, World Peace Conference. Um, the prison guards, with the help of Joe, uh, who managed to get a hold of Mailer's gun, <laughs> uh, managed to uh, subdue the rioters and get control back over the prison, at least temporarily, until the master goes to see Mailer, under the pretense of Mailer being the next one in line for his treatment, Right, uh, provides him with gas bombs and gas masks, and helps... Mailer overthrow the prison guards again, taking control <laughs> over the prison. Yeah. Although I have to say, I really like, I really liked seeing Joe uh, take control of Mailer's gun uh, <laughs> and get and you know instigate the guards getting the upper hand over the prisoners. Because um, she's trained for this sort of thing. She's a, a trained unit operative, a trained unit agent. So, and see, that's something that wasn't really addressed in the last story arc that we discussed. Uh, right. She was treated as if she was inferior to everybody else on the last story arc. You know. Right. So seeing her do this was really kind of cool, you know, <laughs> and not needing the brigadier or the doctor's help. And see, that's something that I can say about Doctor Who. Also, uh, it's always been somewhat progressive when it comes to uh, things like women's roles and things like that, you know. Uh, even before it was kind of a thing, you know, in media to do that, Doctor Who was already doing it, you know. And right. So she gets to be uh, a heroine where, you know, in something else of the time, she might have been a victim, you know. Right. Uh, the Doctor, of course, returns to Stangmore with, you know, the backing of the Brigadier to destroy the killer machine. Of course, he walks in and is immediately captured by the prisoners who are now in control of the prison. You know, the inmates are in charge of the asylum, so right. to speak. And, of course, you know, the master goes, oh, well, doctor, welcome. Here's my <laughs> plan. Um, I'm going to use the prisoners here to steal the Thunderbolt and launch World War um, by destroying the peace conference with it. Now, see, I got this part. I got the part about using the prisoners, stealing the missile, the whole nine yards. What I had trouble wrapping my brain around was what this machine had to do with that. 
it gave him a foothold and a reason to be at the prison in order to take over and use the prisoners as his uh, mercenary army. So it was basically just there for the sake of being there. I think so. Yeah. But, of course, the Keller machine is becoming a bit more of an issue, as right. we'll see. Uh, because, you know, the, the Master's now interested to see how long the Doctor can last against it. And so he handcuffs the Doctor to a chair beside the Keller machine, turns it on, and leaves the room. And this is when the Doctor starts seeing visions again of Daleks and Cybermen right. and Martians and all these enemies he's faced. Yeah. Uh, he loses consciousness, actually. He uh, does. Um, um, but the Master ends up shutting it off because the machine's activity starts to affect the entire prison. Yeah. Everybody in the, the prison starts becoming affected by it. Including and, him. Including him. Yeah. Um, and he's barely able to shut it off and revive the Doctor. The Doctor tells the Master, you need to destroy this thing because the machine still will soon become too powerful to control. See, for me, I thought that the reason why he was doing this with the Doctor in the first place was because he knew that this thing was starting to get too powerful for him to control, and he was hoping that he could use the Doctor as a puppet to do it in his place, you know, yeah. because the Doctor would have more um, stamina against this thing than uh, your standard human would, you know. Right, right, that's true. Um, the Doctor has been deposited in a prison cell with Joe uh, while she's nursing him back to help health, the the master is trying to make some adjustments to the machine to ensure that it won't, you know, take over his mind again. When the machine starts to affect his mind and we see yeah. the master's greatest fear. It's the doctor. It is. <laughs> the doctor, you know, the, this enormous vision of the doctor looming over yeah. him and laughing maniacally. Um, the only thing that would have made this better for me is if you had gotten to see, like, all the faces of the Doctor. Right. <laughs> you know, that would have made it even better for me. But obviously, you can't do that unless you go in and modify the story itself, you know. Right. <laughs> but, of course, he, he starts going, no, no, you can't destroy me. I'm too strong for you. I'm too strong for you. Yeah. And uh, he manages to get out of the, the room there uh, and intends to starve the machine into submission. Because See, it's... I think things like this is the reason why uh, a lot of people all the way back even then were speculating that this was like maybe the doctor's half-brother or something, you know, and that was the reason why they were rivals, that kind of thing. Because that is the type of mentality that, say, a little brother would have towards a big brother that they despised or, you know, a half brother would have towards, you know, someone who they felt like uh, didn't deserve to be, you know, um, in, in a certain position just because of their bloodline or something, you know, that kind of thing. Almost like Loki and Thor, you know. Right. Um, and so I think that's the reason why a lot of people were speculating that. Of course, you know it's never been made canon that that's the case, but I, there were a lot, there was a lot of speculation for years about that, you know, whether or not that they, they were brothers or half brothers or whatever, you know, right. 
And of course, the doctor would have never told anybody if that was true or not, because he wouldn't right. have wanted them to know. Because you know, this is the uh, this is the family member that nobody talks about, kind of thing. You know, this is the black sheep <laughs> of, of of the doctor's family. Oh, <laughs> uh, the, the, well, the, the 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 brothers, the, the eight legged freak. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> Although in more recent years, we've gotten the idea that they were basically good friends and schoolmates, as, probably as kids, yeah. rather than actually related adults. And then something happened that caused this rift, you know, exactly that we've never been told about. Make a really good movie, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, the master proceeds along with his plans to hijack the Thunderbolt missile using the prisoners in exchange for their freedom. Because basically, he'll say, you know, once we blow up the World Peace Conference, they'll give us anything we want. Uh, and we'll get, you know, you, you pardons, money, and a ticket anywhere in the world. Um, and Melee goes, okay. <laughs> um, and here's another reason why he needs to be at Stangmore to do this, is because mm-hmm. the route that this missile is going to be taking will take them close to Stangmore. Right. Um, I guess, so, I guess I just feel like that there was an easier way to get him in there than using that method. Right. And if you were going to use that method, it seemed like there should have been a reason why you used that method, that it should have had some bearing on the other events, you know. Right. And and this is basically, you know, I think a way to not only make the episodes, you know, the storyline longer in order to fill up the a lot of time it was given for the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also gives that, you know, sort of science fiction element to the story. Because without the Keller machine, it's kind of like, you know, James Bond? Yeah, basically. It's kind of like a a James Bond story. And the Doctor and Joe would have had no reason to go to the prison in the first place. Right. So. The convoy, of course, is being led by Captain Yates. And the inmates uh, manage to overpower the escort, kill most of the unit soldiers, although Yates manages to get out of the way. They uh, take the missile, and Yates grabs a discarded motorcycle and attempts to follow them to find out where they're going. They go to an airstrip, an abandoned airstrip where they're going to be storing this missile until they can get it, you know, up and operational and programmed to, you know, hit the world peace conference. Um, Yates attempts to escape in order to reveal this information to the brigadier, but uh, is shot in the arm and captured by guards. (laughs) I do have to say, this is one of those things where, uh, you know, he pulls up to this airstrip, yeah, gets gets off the the bike, runs forward and dives to the ground near this barbed wire fence, and nobody in, saw like, him two, in two <laughs> inches of dried grass. Yeah, and I'm like, how does nobody see you, Yates? <laughs> yeah, I noticed that but then, too. <laughs> but then, of course, he gets up to leave, and that's when they notice him. Right. So <laughs> I was just like. You know, but then, of course, they made that part of the, you know, the issue when they capture him. Um, (laughs) The doctor and Joe managed to get out of their cell, but rather than leaving Stangmore prison, they hide in the governor's office uh, in order to try and figure out how best to deal with the machine and uh, see if there's any way they can help the brigadier from the inside. Unfortunately, um, the Keller machine has discovered... It can teleport itself places. <laughs> I think this has to do directly with the alien presence inside of it. Yes, um, because that is something we, we also learn, is that there's an alien presence inside this machine, 
that the master is using yeah. for this process. And see, that's where I thought that they missed their opportunity in, in having it be the great intelligence, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because um, I think that, that anytime that you have the ability to bring something like that back, it's always nice to see it, you know, um, especially in something like this, because how nice would it have been to see the great intelligence versus the master at some point in this thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, the machine is now transporting itself throughout the prison, yeah. uh, killing these prisoners who have all these vi- violent, evil thoughts in their minds. Uh, the doctor and so are the and guards, Joe, too. Yeah, and so are the guards, too. Uh, the doctor and Joe start wandering around the prison, um, find some of the bodies and when they go to check on the uh, the room where the killer machine was they find it gone until it teleports itself into the, the room right. and attempts to get them uh, <laughs> as they are being captured by Mailer and some other goons uh, Mailer shoots at the machine and runs leaving the Doctor and Joe to the machine but the machine teleports, a, it aw- teleports away and the Doctor going there must be more evil minds in this prison <laughs> that are more attractive to it than us. Right. <laughs> yeah, it feeds on evil. <laughs> yes, on evil. Um, Mailer gets a hold of the master who is at the airstrip setting up the missile. Um, Mailer blackmails the master into returning to Stangmore to deal with the machine because it's running amok. Amok, amok, um, amok, amok, amok. <laughs> Of course, Gates is being held hostage there at the airstrip, and the master is forced to leave his hostage there while Yates is working his bonds looser and looser. Um, <laughs> the master, of course, returns to Stangmore Prison and ends up having to form, again, an uneasy alliance with the yeah. doctor in order to subdue the machine. Yeah. And here's the funny part. When they work together they really come off like friends, you know? Yeah, they do. Um, there's a huge, huge commonality between them. You know, it's, it's, it's not, there's no real awkwardness at all. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's like you ran into somebody that you've not seen in five years that you were like super good friends with. And then it's like, no time has passed at all kind of situation, you know? Um, so yeah, it's kind of a weird dynamic uh, between the, the master and the doctor throughout the years to see all of this, you know. Right. Uh, they managed to get some sort of temporary hold on the the machine with a, a loop of wire uh, with a current alternating at a couple of different frequencies in order to help um, limit the power of the machine uh, yeah. so that it can't teleport and it can't affect anybody. See, things like this make me appreciate the the practical effects in these things. Uh, because it was done pretty well, actually, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially the uh, uh, the way that the doctor reacted to the coil being, you know, so close to him and things like that. You know, you really felt like that it was going to hurt him at some point. You know, um, it, mm-hmm. he had sparks going in front of his face and coming off his hands. And, you know, I was going, uh, is he going to set himself on fire? You know, <laughs> Especially with that velvet yeah. coat he's got. Well, he had that he had that lab coat on for that. You remember? Uh, he put right. that lab coat on and those rubber gloves and that mask for that. 
but it still it still looked like he could set himself on fire, you know, because <laughs> it right. had flames and smoke and stuff shooting off this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay, I'm just going to say this. Okay. This machine. Yes. What did it look like to you? It looked like uh, Mr. Freeze's head on a box. See, I didn't see that. What did it look like to you? I it, To me, it looked like somebody had taken a Dalek and mixed it with R2-D2 and BB-8 <laughs> <laughs> and oh painted it gray, you know? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it sort of looked like this clear trash, like clear plastic trash can that had a little dome on it, and it was sitting on this box uh, with some knobs and switches on it, and the, the trash can lit up uh, when it was active. It didn't look bad, it just... No, it didn't. It was very... Dalek-like to me, you know. Yeah, it was <laughs> especially with the lights shapes. on top. Yeah, simple <laughs> shapes. So, um, the Brigadier, uh, do you know? Thanks to Sergeant Benton, who managed to survive the the prisoner ambush on the convoy, uh, is informed that the prisoners are the ones behind the theft of the Thunderbolt. The Brigadier logically but incorrectly assumes that the thunderbolt must be at stangmore prison and so he yeah. leads he personally leads a two-pronged unit assault uh on stangmore prison See, to i enjoyed the this i thought I this was this cool too. um you know some of the men are going to be you know using an underground passage to get into the prison courtyard uh while he <laughs> leads the trojan horse team right in a supply van uh you know where he's got uh, you know, provisions and supplies, including all this, you know, alcohol for the governor um, <laughs> that he casually mentions that he's right. got. Um, and of course, the, uh, the prisoners go ahead and let him in, well, which is their undoing. Originally, the guy was like, uh, if you want to bring provisions in, go around to that other gate over there. That's where they'll let you in at for that. And he's like, I can't fit my truck in over there, you know? <laughs> so then the guy's right. radioing. Look, this guy say that, uh, you know, and the whole time these other guys are climbing out of the back of the truck and right. behind the, the, you know, the, the, uh, the truck on the opposite side where you can't see them. And they're following the truck into the gate. I, there were the only discrepancy that I kind of saw with this is when they got into the gate, the guy mm-hmm. that was at the gate was behind them and yes. still hadn't seen them. Right. You know, <laughs> Yeah, so, it, it, took, it took just a fraction <laughs> too long for them to take him out yeah. than it should have. Because it but, seemed like to me, in reality, he would have seen them at that point, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's... <laughs> but it was a good plan. And, of course, you know, the Brigadier and the unit forces, uh, you know, start swarming the prison. And, you know, big firefight erupts between the prisoners and the unit soldiers. And, you know, being that they're trained military personnel unit begins to get the upper hand. Uh, Mailer has grabbed the doctor and Joe to use as hostages against the brigadier. Uh, Joe knocks Mailer over to try and cause a disruption so that the doctor can get Mailer's gun and they can, you know, turn the tables, but Mailer still retains control of his gun Uh He's got his arm wrapped around Joe's neck and is pointing the gun at the doctor. Yeah. 
and a shot rings out. Yeah. Thankfully, it's the shot is uh, the brigadier shooting Mailer. Um, <laughs> I laughed at this part because the doctor looks at the brigadier and says, just once, could you show up before just in the nick of time? Yes. <laughs> just once, do you think you could show up before the nick of time? <laughs> Good to see you too, doctor. And the brigadier's um, got this sly grin on his face. You know? Oh, he's, he is so <laughs> relishing this. <laughs> I mean, really and truly, um, since Jamie's not around anymore, it's it feels like the Brigadier is kind of taking the place of the Doctor's best friend, you right. know. And right. and but their dynamic is sort of like um, that they 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 act like they don't want people to know that they like each other, you know. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the mind parasite inside the uh, the Keller machine manages to overcome the doctor's, you know, temporary fix and is once again on the move. Um, it of course <laughs> corners the doctor and Joe, but Barnum who has taken a shine to Joe because she's been taking care of him this whole time. Yeah. Wanders in and gets close enough to the machine that it suddenly starts losing power. Yeah. And as soon as he steps away from it, it starts back up again. And the doctor's like, no, 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 no. Come back, come back, come back. <laughs> And the doctor realizes that because Barnum's mind has no evil impulses anymore due to the uh, killer machine in the first place, yeah, he is acting as a neutralizing influence Almost on like a the sponge. machine, right? <laughs> um, and which is really funny now, considering that the machine created its own foil. Mm, yes, <laughs> yes, it did. Um. Which is because it got greedy. It did. It did. Um, they decide that they're going to try and use the machine to help use against the master to recapture the thunderbolt, uh, because the master is headed back to the airfield in order to set up this the missile to blow up the World Peace Conference. Um, Yates has escaped and uh, relays the, the location to the brigadier. Yeah, the doctor is forced to bargain with the master, offering to return the dematerialization circuit uh, that he had from our previous episode, right? In order to get use of the missile again. See, I like this because it makes it so that the episodes don't feel so self-contained. Mm -hmm. it, it has an ongoing through plot, you know. And I like it when a show does that. And and shows back in these days didn't normally do that, you know. Right. Um, they usually did the, the the Star Trek formula where, you know, each episode is self-contained and does not affect the one before it or after it, you know. And so it kind of reboots every time that it starts over, you know. Uh, the only exception to that being if a character dies or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Of course, this offer to, to bring the dematerialization circuit is a ruse because they're going to use the, the Keller machine to help them get back what they want without giving up the dematerialization circuit. Because the doctor wants to activate the missile's self-destruct circuit, uh, which the master has deactivated. Yeah. Um, 
as a precaution, just in case the doctor tries to double cross him. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, the the doctor and the master get into a scuffle. Um, when the master realizes that Barnum and the machine and Joe are all there with the doctor. Now, why did um, the doctor not use his Venusian karate? Because the master <laughs> knew how to counteract it? I don't know. Did he? I would think he might. I mean, he um, used it on someone else earlier in the show, so, you know. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, the The doctor manages to get the self-destruct system reactivated. The master manages to make his way to a van to try to escape. Barnum tries to stop the master, but gets run down by the van and killed. Yeah. Which was that wasn't cool. No, it wasn't. Um, He's kind of like Hodor from Game of Thrones. I've heard of that. Yeah. I've not seen it, but I know a lot of people were. Yeah. Hodor is like very innocent. He's like this giant guy who's very innocent and very, you know, childlike, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's sort of like Hodor from game of Thrones. Uh, and so when I saw him get run over, I was like, that's just not cool. You know? Right. <laughs> it's not. Um, they leave the killer machine next to the missile and manage to get far enough away before the self-destruct sequence counts down the missile blows up, taking the Keller machine with it. Uh, but, of course, the Master has escaped in his van. Um, staying more prisoners, put back in order. The Keller machine, all its other apparatuses have been dismantled and destroyed. And the Brigadier says, well, at least you didn't have to give the Master his dematerialization circuit. And the Doctor checks his pockets and realizes in his scuffle with the Master, he dropped Yeah, it. it's gone. Um, and that's when the phone rings. Yep, the phone rings. <laughs> and the master goes, thank you for the dematerialization circuit. I, you know, he calls to gloat to the doctor. Um, Joe tries to, you know, console the doctor by saying, well, at least you won this round. The doctor goes, yes. But the master is free to roam the cosmos in his TARDIS. Well, I remain in exile. He then turns and looks straight at the brigadier. <laughs> stuck with you. <laughs> and that's when the brigadier smirks. <laughs> yeah. And the episode ends. You, you can see the sheer joy on the brigadier's face, you know. <laughs> You're just like, I like getting under his skin like this. It makes me happy. Oh. <laughs> and that's the mind of evil. The mind of <laughs> oh man all right so the master should have said i want one million dollars <laughs> something like that all right so uh, I, I suppose we should we should move into Final thoughts and uh, ratings on this. How many Keller machines would you rate the mind of evil? <laughs> oh, nah. Well, let's see. Even though I was a little bit disappointed that it didn't have uh, the great intelligence in there, I'm, I got over it. You know, it's not that big a deal. Um, it's, it's a good story. It's not the best doctor story or the best master story, I should say. 
Um, mm-hmm. There are there are definitely better ones and probably a few worse ones, if I had to guess. Uh, I haven't seen them all, um, but I would say I would say it was good. I would say that it was it was adequate. Let me put it that way. You know, um, it wasn't a disappointment, and so definitely you got to give it above a six for, you know, just because of the fact it wasn't a disappointment. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, I wish that it had been a little bit clearer about the relationship between the missile and the machine and that kind of thing. You know, uh, that would be my problem. You know, my biggest, you know, concern with the, the story. Um, I thought mm-hmm. the blue screen or green screen effects were better this time around than they were the last time. Um, because I know there were some in there, but you really didn't notice them, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and I thought that overall the special effects and stuff were good. I thought the acting was good. Um, there wasn't really as what I would say was a huge standout moment where you just really were like, Oh, that wasn't great acting, you know? (laughs) Um, right. And there's been a few episodes in, in the past, uh, that we've looked at where there were some of those, you know, yeah, um, and so, you know, I love the dynamic between the third Doctor and and Delgado's Master, and uh, actually between the Doctor and Joe, you know. Um, and yeah, I'm really, really liking the Brigadier, you know, uh, in these stories. <laughs> uh, he's just, I'm really liking that character. I'm gonna have, I I can't go any lower than seven. Okay, because I like I think I liked the last episode a little bit better, but not like a lot better. You know, gotcha. Yeah, this is this is a good story. Um, There's nothing bad in it. Uh, There's nothing that really detracts from it. Um, It's good. I don't think there's really anything in this story, though, to say it's great. Right. it's, you know, it's a fairly standard sort of third Doctor story. Um, I, I don't want to say run-of-the-mill because that implies it's just... Meh. Blah. Yeah. Meh. But it's a fairly standard third Doctor master-type story. Um, like you said, there there's no real standout moments in right. it. There's nothing that puts this over the edge as something great, something uh, really rewatchable. I mean, it's rewatchable. You know, you can rewatch it and, and it's not going to, you know great on your brain or anything. And um, and there's certain things about these episodes that, you know, make them rewatchable in that there's little things that you'll probably notice that you didn't notice the first time around, you know, uh, it's just that I didn't notice those things the first time around, if you know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. and so that's the reason why it doesn't just, you know, kind of hit me in the face and say, I'm here, look at me, you know, <laughs> if you get my meaning. Right. Um, and so just, you know, for the reason that it's sort of just a, a standard type of, of third doctor story, I'm going to go ahead and give this uh, a, a six and a half. Ooh, that's getting close to the uh, man region. <laughs> yeah. I mean, standard is, is, you know, just a little bit above me. I mean, it, it's not bad. It's not great. It's, it's good. Yeah. Um, it, but it, it, there's nothing that really puts it over the top in any way. So. Um, but yeah, that 
that ends our our discussion here on the mind of evil. <laughs> um, let's let's be honest. There's a couple of stories along the way that the most redeeming thing about them is the master and the doctor in them. You know, right. And the way right. that they interact and their dynamic. If if you didn't have those actors or those characters in it, you could take it or leave it at that point. You know, um, because they, like you said, some of them are, are very standard, very kind of formulaic, and you know, mm-hmm. and those characters are actually what elevated above just kind of a, eh, it's okay, you know, right. Uh, next episode will be the Christmas special, right. uh, the return of Dr. Mysterio. And it just depends on our release schedules as to when that'll be. And you uh, never know when we're going to throw in a discussion, uh, episode where we just discuss a topic that we decide we want to talk about. So exactly. So, um, to keep an eye out for some of those things. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, I think that'll start wrapping things up. Of course, make sure folks, if you want to uh, weigh in on our discussion here, if you want to weigh in on, uh, you know, your thoughts on the master, particularly Roger Delgado's master. um, Or if you want to give us some of your thoughts on how excited or not excited you are for the Christmas special, uh, please let us know. You can talk to us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash talking time Lords. You can tweet us at at talking time Lord or email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. Of course, links to all of our social media and previously released episodes, as well as the Talking Time Lords store, is also available on our website, TalkingTimeLords.com. Of course, on our website is also a link to where you can uh, rate and review our podcast, which we would greatly appreciate and be very grateful for (laughs) uh, any new ratings and reviews on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you find our lovely It's starting podcasts. to get embarrassing, guys. We've been doing this for a long time. Stop and it. we've only got right, four. Stop it. Stop <laughs> it. Stop it. Although we can only find three of them. Not sure where the fourth went. Um, <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, uh, anything else, Paul, before we wrap up this episode? Uh, don't forget to check out our storefront. Um, on we, There's a link to it on our website where you can get uh, our first Talking Time Lords t-shirt. Um, and the proceeds for that uh, do uh, benefit uh, the, the podcast. It, it will fund us to be able to upgrade uh, our process to give you an even more professional podcast. Yes. Upgrade our equipment and such things as that. So, all right. I think that'll wrap up this episode of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number 58, The Mind of Evil. (laughs) For Paul, I'm Jason. And remember, until next time. May you hope far-flung hopes and dream masterful dreams. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts, or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows.
Send me one million dollars. Oh my goodness. 